listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening, good evening. Again, you are listening to the Manifesting God podcast, and I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth Kenyon. Thank you so much for joining me on this evening. As you all know, we have really been moving forward, understanding what God is requiring of us in this new place. We got our release on the when God told us that we can indeed go now, we can begin to move into what he has promised for us. But then on the 12th, we learned exit expectations. We began to understand not only what God will do, but we understood what he requires of us. Why, as we move forward, as the promises of God begin to unfold in our lives, we begin to understand what God requires of us. And then on last week, we talked about it was necessary. Simply all that we've been through, all that we've come through, it was necessary. It was necessary. Why? So that we could understand the promises above our head, the promises in us, and the promises underneath of us, the promises of God that are holding us up even today, even today. So get over to Joshua one, because I'm not finished with Joshua one yet. And I told you that we are going to, God is going to begin to expose to us his strategies as far as moving and what movement actually looks like in Christ. Because as we know, for years as the body of Christ, we have gotten it wrong. We may have started off right and it got corrupted, but somewhere down the line, things got twisted and God called a halt to the whole entire being that would be Christianity. He says, stop and wait and let me re-explain myself to you one-on-one. Let me spend time with you and explain explain to you what it is that I want from you because the world seeped in. The world seeped into your lifestyle. The world seeped into the way you thought of me. The world seeped into how you perceived me. So I need to move you away from all the activities that are happening in your lives so that I can speak with you one-on-one. And then once I can get you to understand who truly I am Once again, once again, I must draw you back to me. I must pull you in close to me. So once you begin to recognize me again for who I am, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember, we went through the letters in Revelation where he explained to us where we'd gone wrong, how we veered off, what we put in place of him. And now he began to move us forward to the point where today we are talking about preparing for possession of the promise. We're talking about preparing for the possession of the promise. And again, we're going back to Joshua 
1. Back to Joshua 1, because there's still some truths that we must unearth here. And remember, I told you that I was going to go back and forth between Joshua and Acts as God revealed the strategies for movement. I'm going to share those strategies with you, what he showed me. But back again to Joshua 1, as we talk again about preparing for possession of the promise. Joshua 1 says in the Amplified Version, then Joshua Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, now remember, Moses has died. So now Joshua has been left to lead the people into the promised land of Christ. Verse verse, uh, 11 says, then pass through, wait, wait a minute, let me back up. 10 says, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, and verse 11 says, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. This is what he's saying to to Joshua, command the people, say, prepare your victuals, prepare your victuals. It's so funny. I kind of snickered when I heard the word victuals. It's a word my husband uses often when he wants, when he's ready for dinner. Can I have some of the the victuals that you have prepared? Y'all know my husband, he's he's silly, but this is the word that he uses often. And it says prepare and prepare. There is the Hebrew word kuin, K-U-W-N, kuin. And victuals is human and is, is, is a Hebrew for provision. So he's saying, prepare your provision, prepare your provision for within three days, ye are to pass over this Jordan to go in to possess or inherit, inherit the land which Jehovah, your God, giveth you to possess. He said, I want you to prepare your own provision. Joshua was like, I'm not going to get it together for you. For we walked around this mountain for years where Moses taught us what provision looked like, where God showed us what provision looks like. So now you, you go and you prepare prepare your provision, your victuals, you prepare it because in three days, we're going to rise up in three days. We're going to rise up and we're going to cross over. Why? Because we need to inherit. Now, see, there's a, there's a, there's something here with this word possess. See, because when he says we're going to go into possess, possess the land, you know, that possess word it, it in the Hebrew, it can go in either direction. It can be to um, inherit or it can be to dispossess. It can be to destroy or it can be to ruin. And that caught my attention because that tells me that if we have not prepared properly, then the opposite can happen. We can dispossess or we can destroy or we can bring to ruin. Wouldn't it be a terrible shame as the old folk would say before God, wouldn't it be a shame before God if we, the people of God, after having gone through, gone around, around for four, nearly 40 years, Remember now, cross over a generation, as I told you last week. Remember, what if what if we've gone around over 40 years, yet another generation we've crossed into and we dispossess and we destroy 
and we bring to ruin. See, this is why Joshua put it in their hands. He put it in the people's hands. Because see, remember, he knew their parents. We're talking about a Joshua now who is not 19, who took 40 days to go and, and see what the land looked like and come back and give a good report. We're talking about a Joshua now who is somewhere between 56 and 66. We're talking about a man of God who knows the parents of the people that he's talking to. So he said, you go with everything that you've learned, with everything that you know, you go and you prepare what is needed to cross over. You prepare it and prepare there. That word, uh, that word um, victuals to prepare there. Now, let me go back. That word prepare there. I'm going to stay right there. It, it means so many different things in the Hebrew to be firm, to be stable, to be established, to, to set up. So he's telling them to set up, to establish, to firmly establish, he's telling them, to secure and determine is what he's telling them. And the Hebrew word nifal, and then in the Hebrew word hifal, he is telling them, you establish it, you accomplish it, you make it firm, you make it ready. You make your own provision ready. You furnish it. He's telling them in the Hebrew word, hafal. He's telling me, you establish it. You fasten it. You get it ready. You get it ready. In the Hebrew, again, he's telling them in the word, polel. You establish it. You constitute it. You fix it. You direct it. This is his order to the people. I'm not going to be responsible, he says, for you preparing your victuals, what you need. You be responsible over that. Over that. So I'm saving your leader, your leaders, people of God that hear me today. I'm saving your leaders, the, 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 the verbiage, the wasted verbiage on telling you, and I'm telling you as a prophetess, it's time to move. You prepare, you prepare, you gather, you gather what is needed. You make firm, you establish what is needed for the journey. You establish what is needed for this three day journey, this resurrected journey where where you once descended. Now you have ascended. You you prepare what is needed for this ascension. You get it together. You know what you require. You know the lessons that you have learned over the years. You know. You know, you know, Genesis 43 and 16, I started thinking about the word prepare and I started thinking about all that we can prepare to take with us, all that we can pack up and make ready, all that we can direct and establish to take with us. I thought about what we might want to take on that journey, see, because we have to be careful what we take. We must be clear that we are taking the, the lessons of the experience, but we don't, we may not want to take the experience 
experience, the hurt of the experience, the, the, the wounds of the experience with us less we wound someone else. But we might want to take with us that lessons that we learned from that experience. Genesis 43 and 16, it reminded me of some of the things that I might want to prepare to take with me. In verse 16, it says in Genesis 43, in the Amplified Version, it says, and when Joseph, and I want you to listen, I want you to hear me today. Hear me. See, because too many times we're responding, we're writing, but we don't hear and we never revisit those notes. And then we show up in the promised place with a lack of preparation. Even the notes we didn't pack. So we're ill-equipped to walk in the promises of God. Genesis 43 and 16, it says, and when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of this house, bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon. And right then I'm reminded of they're sitting now at the table with a person of authority, even though they don't know yet that that's their brother, they know him to be a person of authority. So that tells me that their appetite must change. Their appetite had to change to sit at the table with Joseph because Joseph was a man of authority. How many of you know people of authority have a different diet than people of none? They have a different diet. The meal that's laid before them is one that they have never tasted before. The way it's prepared is one that they've never tasted before. So we must prepare our appetites for, for, for that of kings and that of queens, that of princes. We must prepare, princess, we must prepare our appetite for the new delicacies that will be placed before. For us, See, because you got to remember where they were at. They were in a place of a different culture, naturally and spiritually. They were in a different place, his brothers. And see, remember, the Egyptians were, they thought a lot of the animals, they named those and associated those with God. So what Christians would eat, they associated with God. So what they wanted to have, they weren't likely to have access to. Are we going to starve to death in our new place? Because what we want, what we have an appetite for is no longer available. We had to leave it behind in order to access and walk in the promises of God. We must change our appetite. We must change our appetites. Exodus 8 and 26, it says, and Moses said, it is not meat so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. And this is when Moses had stepped forward to initially free them from the Egyptian bondage that the Israelites were in. And they were asking the Egyptians, why must you go? And he said, because what we would sacrifice, should we choose to sacrifice from this 
place, it would be an abomination unto God. So we must understand in this new place that we must prepare our sacrifice because what was acceptable in the unholy place where we dwelled that was unacceptable to God is no longer acceptable. For if we try to, to, to sacrifice, to sacrifice on the altar from the unholy place, that place where God has delivered us from, it would be considered an abomination. It would be considered an abomination. So we must prepare our sacrifices, prepare our appetite, prepare our sacrifice, make ready the new sacrifice, make ready or establish our appetite on the things of the in the promised land, no longer the things of the wilderness. Second Samuel 5 and 20. 12 says, then came all the tribes of Israel to David, to David unto Hebron and spoke saying, behold, we are bone, we are thy bone and we are thy flesh. And verse two, it says also in times past, when Saul was our king over us, thou was he that led us out and bought us in. They're recognizing him. They're recognizing him. And it says, and the Lord said to thee, thou shalt feed my people and thou shalt be captain over Israel. So David dwelt in the fort in verse nine, and he called it the city of David. And then David built, David built. In verse 10, it says, and David went on and grew great. And the Lord of hosts was with him. And verse 11 says, and Haram, the king of Tyre, we sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons and they built David a house. So what? why did I go to this first? Because like I said, while we might not want to take the wounds of the experiences with us, we still must remember our history and not just our general history, but our history, our individual history, because it was in that place that we were established. We were established. So we must prepare our history, prepare those stones, those tablets, because it's in those that we remember that we are an established people. See, because while David was being established, he led in. And he brought, he led out and he brought in God's people. While David was being established, David built. While David was being established, he still grew. So by the time that David was indeed established, what happened? Then kings began to send supplies to him. And then guess what? He no longer had to build. Why? Because they built for him. Verse 11 says, they built for him. See, if we're not clear, 
If we're not clear that we are indeed the established ones in this place of promise that we are entering, if we are not clear that we are the established ones that we have already led people out, we have already brought them in, we have already built, we grew and we grew great. If we forget our own history, what will happen? We will put our hands to a work that someone else's hands should be to. We will begin to build what? Our own house instead of the people of God that God blesses and anoints to build for us. We will move them out the way and begin to build again. We will begin to lead and bring out again. We will begin to repeat the actions that initially established us and, and make us establish today. We will step again into that cycle of repetition. As I mentioned on last week, that Jersey turn turn road that I told you all about, that you can go to turn turnabout where you can get into the circle and there are several roads that will lead you out of the circle. But if you're not paying attention, you will end up going back around and back down the same road that you just came. So we want to be sure that we understand by our history, by what we have led and bought in and out, by what we have built, by how we have grown, that we indeed are the established one. And verse 12 says this, guess what? And David perceived, he perceived once he saw the, the, the king sending him set of trees and carpenters and masons and the people started building, he perceived that the Lord has established him that the Lord had established him over Israel. Prepare your perception. Don't lose sight of who you are. Do not lose sight of who you are. Ezra 7 and 10, this is, this is another one I wanted to touch on. And it says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it in Israel, its statutes and its judgments. You must prepare your heart. You prepare it. You establish it. You set it. You make it ready to seek the law of God, to do it, and to teach it. So you want to seek it, do it, and teach it along with its statutes and judgments. Prepare your heart. Make ready your heart. Prepare it to seek, to do, and to teach. Not just to seek, not just to do, but to seek, to do, and to teach, and to teach. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a work ahead of us, but we must make sure that we prepare our own 
victuals, prepare your own provision, your appetite, your sacrifice, your establishment, and your heart. Be a prepared and ready people. For if you do not prepare these things, we also understand that in the process of possession, this can go negative. You can dispossess, you can destroy, and you can bring to ruin. You can dispossess and destroy the heart of another if your heart has not been properly prepared. You can destroy, dispossess, and ruin the appetite of another by having an appetite for something that's of your past and that's in their current past that they would be delivered from if you'd be delivered from it. So prepare your appetite now. Prepare your sacrifices now. Prepare your mind to understand what God is requiring in this new promise, in the promises of God. Prepare your sacrifice lest you start sacrificing what is of, what is not of God to God and submit something that is abominable unto him. Do we want to prepare your heart for if your heart is corrupt, if your heart has not been cleansed of filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, if your heart has not been cleansed, you will corrupt the heart of another. See, remember now, the things that I'm noting here are things that we've already seen. They are things that we have already seen in the churches today that got shut down today. We've already seen the corrupt. We've already seen the dispossessed. We've already seen what 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 happens when folks bring others to ruin. We've already seen destruction. We've already seen that. So we we've lived it. We've walked through it, been delivered from it. Now it's time to prepare anew for the promises of God. It is time to prepare for the possession of the promise. It is time to prepare for the possession of the promise. Now the deal needs to be sealed. The deal needs to be sealed, but in order for it to be sealed, then we must know something. And I'm back in Joshua one. And it says there every place in verse three, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon to you. Have I given it as I spake unto Moses? So it's the same vision. Joshua has the, he's carrying out the same vision that Moses taught him in and left him with. He's this not a new vision. This is not a new, a new thing. God is not, God is still saying we are to lift him up so that all men can be drawn unto him. It's the same vision, the same vision. Verse four, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, that shall be your border. Then verse five, it says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee, before thee all the days of thy life. Now, does this mean that there will not be any difficulties, any confrontations? They will come. We know from our experience, from that place where we were established, 
established in God that they will come. However, we know our God is greater and he has already promised us that no man will be able to stand against us before us, I'm sorry, before us all the days of our life. They will not be able to stand before us. Why is that? Why and how is it that no man can stand before us all the days of our lives? Why is it that no one will be able to be in a to be in a position, um, place us in a position of defeat? Why is that? I want to tell you why. And this little part that I'm really hoping that you'll grasp hold to, and I've said it several times, and it's simply that we must learn God's language. We must understand what God means when God says what he says. A lot of the reason why we are unable to fully walk in the promises of God and execute the will and the purpose of God with power is because we're speaking a different language than God. And God can't manifest his promises on our language. We must learn the language of God. Go to Genesis 1. Go to Genesis 1. And remember here, I'm talking about just how do we seal this deal? How do we understand what the promises of God are. That means that we must know something. We must know what God is saying and be clear so that we're saying the same things. God's word does not return to him void. Why is it in the past when we spoke God's word that it didn't seem like anything happened and nothing manifested, nothing actually manifested? Is it possible that we didn't understand what we were saying and we were using his words in a context that was completely inapplicable? We need to learn to speak what God is saying, the way God is saying, when he is saying it. We need to understand what God is saying, when God is saying what he is saying. Verse five says in um, in Joshua one, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Before thee, Genesis one I'm going to show you what he means when he says before thee, no one can stand before thee, no one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse two, and the earth was out, was without form and it was void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, verse three, let there be light. And there was light. Verse four, and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. Verse five, and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Key verse, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the first day. 
Verse six, and God said, let the let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and light it and let it divide. I'm sorry, the waters from the waters. Verse seven, and I'm in the amplified version. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. They were the second day. They were the second day. Verse 13, and the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, verse 14, verse 16, and God made, and verse 17, and God set, and verse 19, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. As we go through chapters one and two of Genesis, we see consistently that the evening and the morning described a day. To us, the morning and the evening describe a day. But to God, an evening and a morning describe a day. So why, why, why can no man stand before us all the days of our lives? Because before us, to God begins with evening. Before us, to us begins with morning. What am I saying? God was already there. Evening began with God. Evening. He started in the evening. So by the time the fight comes to us in the daytime, our time, God's already dealt with that during his time, his day, the evening, then the morning. We're coming in at the morning to the evening. He's already dealt with that. He's already dealt with that. Perhaps, perhaps I can get you to stop worrying about those that don't like you, that hate you, that talk about you, that put you down, the enemies, the Judases. Perhaps I can get you to stop worrying about that and focusing on that, understanding that when God's day began, it began with the evening. He's already dealt with the Judas. He's already dealt with the enemy. He's already dealt with any force that can rise above or try to rise against you. He's already dealt with that. That already happened. If we can stop looking behind us, if we can stop looking behind us and fix our eyes forward, we would understand that the Judas, that God has already, that's behind us. That's behind us. Why? Because God is evening, then morning. The enemy is an evening. We're in morning. God is an evening. He's handled that and we're here. Eyes opening, arise. Any enemy that would try to come up against us, God has already handled. He has already shut the mouth of the gang sayer. He's already shut their mouth. In Isaiah 45, he says, I will go before you and I will level the mountains. When is God going before you? At the beginning of the day, evening. He's already there before you. He's already there before you. He's already shattering mountains before you, before you. And Deuteronomy 31, he tells Moses, Moses says, it is the Lord. Moses tells the people, it is the Lord, your God, who will cross ahead of you. When did he cross ahead of them? At the beginning of the day, in the evening. 
and the evening. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. You shall unfit them. You shall move them out of the way. Joshua is the one who will go across before you. So God's going first. Then Joshua's going to go and Joshua's going to lead you just as the Lord said, just as the Lord said. This is what the promises of God are. I'm already before you. I'm already before me, before you. Verse of uh, Psalms 139 and verse five, it says, you have enclosed me, get this, behind and before, because you have placed your hand upon me. Now, does that mean he leaves us vacant in the day? No, but it, the, the word tells us right here in Psalm 139, you've already enclosed me behind. And guess what? You're already before me as well. You are surrounding me. You are surrounding me. Uh, Isaiah 46 and three, it says, listen to me, says the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You have been carried by me from your birth. Did God not carry us from birth to this point? God has been carrying us and have been carried in his arms from the womb. Even in your old age, he says, I am he. And even to your advanced old age, he says, I'm going to carry you. I have made you and I will carry you. Be assured, I'm going to carry you and I'm going to save you. Why? Because there's nobody like me, he says in verse five. Nobody that you can make like me. There's nobody equal to me. There's nobody you can compare to me. There's nobody that I'm like. There's nobody that I'm like, for I am the God that is in front of you and behind you. Nobody can destroy you. Why are we, why are we so concerned with what's already behind us? Christ has already, he's already boxed us in. He's behind us and he's in front of us. He's in front of us and he's telling us here, I've been carrying you from the womb. I've been carrying you from birth. I'm not going to stop. I'm carrying you in your old age. I'm carrying you in your advanced old age. Why? Because I'm God. There's nobody like me and I'm not going to explain myself to you. You just need to know that I am with you. I am with you. Proverbs four, it talks about a father's instructions to his son. And he tells him, he said, listen, this is what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to pay attention and I need you to be willing to learn because you need understanding and you need intelligent discernment. This is what the amplified version says. He says, you will need to get wisdom, get skillful, get godly. Don't turn away from wisdom because wisdom guards you and it protects you. And he tells them in verse 23, you need to watch over your heart. You watch it with all diligence because out of it, it pours the issues of your life. I'm telling you where your focus should be. Your focus doesn't need to be, your focus doesn't need to be behind you. Your focus needs to be one where you watching your heart with all diligence, making sure you apply it to wisdom. Move away from deceitful mouths. Move away from devious lips. But this is what he tells him I want you to do. <clears throat> In verse 25, he says, I want you 
to let your eyes look directly ahead. Look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed in front of you. This is what God is commanding of us today. We don't need to be looking behind us. He's already dealt with our enemies at the beginning of the day in the evening. He's already dealt with our enemies. That's why they can't stand before us. But what I need you to do, he's saying, can you apply your heart to wisdom? Can you <clears throat> you watch over your house, watch over your heart with diligence? Can you put away um, deceiving uh, mouths and tongues and lips? Fix your eyes, he said. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed forward. Consider and watch carefully the path of your own feet. Make sure that all of your ways are steadfast and make sure they are sure. Don't turn to the right or to the left where evil may lurk, where evil may lurk is what the Amplified Version says. But it says, turn your foot from the path of evil. Ladies and gentlemen, in order, in order to possess, in order to possess, in order to prepare for possession of the promise, we have no need to concern ourselves with that which the enemy, with that which God has already put his foot on, which is the enemy. We don't need to concern ourselves with the Judas, with the with the with the liar, with the with the enemy trying to take us over in that sense, in that sense, because we focus sometimes a lot of times on what's already behind us, what God has already taken care of instead of instead of letting our eyes look directly ahead, instead of letting our gaze be fixed on what is in front of us, instead of watching the path of our feet, instead of not turning to the right or the left. I'm we we know that there's an enemy. We know that. And I'm not telling you don't pray, you know, um, or what God gives you to pray when you see the enemy and you see him uh, attempting to devour. That prayer is you and God. That's what you pray. That's what you choose. But what I'm saying is when your focus, <clears throat> when your focus is so fixed, so fixed on what is behind you, you cannot move forward. You cannot move forward. There is no way that your eyes can be looking directly ahead and, and you're constantly looking behind you and you're concerned about every enemy behind you and every attack that's already behind you. Every attack that God has already promised will never, he, he already told them, he told the Israelites, there is no one, no man that's going to be able to stand, stand against you all the days of your lives, all the days of your life. So what is he telling you? You don't have to fight that battle. I got that. I need you, though, to fix your eyes forward. And I need you to watch the path of your feet. I need you not to turn to the right or to the left. We fix our eyes on God. We cannot prepare. 
We cannot prepare for the possession of the promise. If how can we prepare our possession if we're busy looking around and looking behind us? We're going to mess around and pack something that we that's going to destroy us in the promise. If we're so busy looking behind us and wondering what what enemy number one and enemy number two are doing, we're going to mess around and pack something that's going to that's going to bring to ruin the promise that God has over the land for us. We're going to mess around and completely, completely miss the departure in three days because we're worried about things and people that aren't worried about us. Our concerns, our concern is to verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead. Our concern is to let our gaze be fixed in front of us. Our concern is to consider well and watch carefully the path of our feet. Do not turn to the left or to the right, but to fix our eyes like a flit on the promises of God or the promised land of God or the promised will of God or the promised purpose of God. This is our calling. This is who we now are. We've been given permission to go. We understand what God is expecting of us and we understand what we can expect out of him. We understand that every experience that we have had was indeed necessary. Now we are preparing for the possession of the promise. So we are preparing what? We are preparing, as I said, our appetite, our sacrifice, understanding that we are an established people. So we know our history. We know our not only not only uh, not only history in general, but our history. We remember when God established us. So we will not be building our own house where we're supposed to be building the house of God. And God has designated others to build for us. We will focus, focus. Fix our eyes like a promises, uh, fix our eyes like a flint on the promises of God. And lastly, we will prepare our hearts, prepare our hearts, because if our hearts are not fully prepared unto God, we will sacrifice the abominable thing, the thing that God does not want. We will sacrifice what God does not want in the new place of promise. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, I hope tonight helped you to understand how to begin to prepare your possessions for the for the promises, preparing our possessions for the promises of God, preparing. Let me say it right. Preparing for possession of the promise. We have a work to do. So get your bags packed, get ready. Because if you're under the sound of my voice, you are indeed preparing for possession of the promise. God is speaking to you and he's letting you know through this word that some things cannot go with you. Some thoughts, some ways cannot go with you. Should you try to bring them with you, you will only dispossess, destroy, and ruin. So today, prepare for possession 
of the promise. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today, God, for this word that is helping us to prepare for possession of the promise. How you're telling us, God, what we can prepare as victuals, as possession. We get what we can prepare as ours, God, to take with us into that place of promise, God, into that place, God, where you will use us for your glory, oh God, into that place, oh God, where our mouths will be opened to teach God, to not only practice, not only read of your word and learn of your word, but also God to teach and to do God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, oh God, that we are a willing worker, oh God. We call forth God today, God, that you would that you would increase our understanding, increase us in wisdom, oh God. Help us, oh God. We want our eyes to be stayed fixed forward, oh God. We don't want to look to the left or the right, God, but we want your perfect will to be done in us and through us, oh God. We, we, God, in the name of Jesus, oh God, call for your kingdom to come, God, and your will to be done in us and through us in the earth realm, God, as you move us, God, into this new place. In three days, as you move us, oh God, into this place of promise, oh God, with God, with the correct possessions, with the godly possessions, oh God, that you, God, will use us for your will and for your purpose, oh God, for your will and for your purpose. We understand that no enemy will stand before us. No enemy will be able to defeat us because you have already fought for us. You have already cleared a path for us, oh God, and we will today, God, to walk in your purpose and walk in your will in the name of Jesus. We thank you, oh God. We thank you that you're doing a new thing in us and through us. We thank you, oh God, that your will, God, is going to be made manifest in the earth realm, God, through our willing hands, our willing minds, God. In the name of Jesus, oh God, we bless you. We bless you, O God, and we give you glory. We thank you for cleansing us of filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. We thank you for perfecting holiness in us because we want to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we are called. We thank you that we understand the hope of our calling. Thank you, O God, that our eyes have been enlightened and we understand the hope of our calling that is in you. That is in you. We thank you that we live and we breathe in you, in you. It's in your name that I pray. It's in your name that I pray. It's in your name that I pray, Lord God. And I thank you. I give you glory. I give you honor. I give you honor. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. I thank you all for joining me on this evening. And I will see you on next Monday at 7 p.m. God bless you and God keep you. And please know this, you are in my prayers. I pray for you each and every day. If you are under the sound of my voice, I am indeed praying for you. Don't let go in this season. Don't let go. Don't let go. God is doing a new thing. He is calling you to a new place. Your job is to stay focus and don't let go of his unchanging hand. I promise you, God has a work for you. There is nothing, there is nothing that is standing in your way. Your pathway, your pathway is clear. Your pathway is clear. It's clear. It's clear. It's clear. Don't let go. Don't let go.